Well, Terry, you taught me something new today. I had no idea that Fidel Castro was a pastor in this area. I'm going to have to get together with him for breakfast or coffee or something and bounce ideas off one another because I really like that idea, to be honest with you. So we're glad that you are here at Prairie View Christian Church this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to worship here with us. We've recently started a new sermon series looking at the subject of prayer. And specifically, we're looking at three different types or really three different aspects of prayer, all three of which should play an important role in our everyday lives as followers of Jesus. Some of our prayers will be marked by all three of these things. Some of our prayers will be primarily marked by one of these things. But there is definitely overlap in this stuff and these aspects and these things that we're learning. Now, we're examining prayer because even though sound Christian teaching and sound Christian practice can be a little bit more difficult to come by these days than it has been in the past, prayer is still an immensely popular practice, even amongst those who don't really know if God exists or not, even amongst those who have some serious, serious doubts. Now, that being said, many people who love the idea of prayer are somewhat confused about what prayer is really all about. Many people in our world today view prayer as simply a form of meditation with no deity actually listening to the things that we say. Some people view it as just some kind of weird mystical exercise to help clear our minds of distractions or stress. Some people view prayer as simply a way to coerce God into giving us the things that we want. And as we live in this world that is so confused about prayer in so many different areas, we as followers of Jesus need to take an honest look at our understanding of prayer for the sake of our own spiritual health and so that we can be more prepared to address these misunderstandings when we have the opportunity. Now, last week, the first aspect of prayer that we discussed was awe, A-W-E, awe. We talked about 2 Samuel 7 where David receives an incredible promise from God. God tells him that he's going to build David a house. He's going to give David offspring that will be, have a kingdom forever, that will never be apart from his steadfast love. This promise ultimately would be fulfilled in Jesus. David wouldn't see the promise fulfilled. But as David receives the promise, and here is this incredible commitment that God is making to him, this incredible blessing that God is giving him, all David can do in response is pray with an incredible sense of awe. As he approaches God in prayer, the first thing that he does after Nathan gives him this message, he asks a big question. The big question that he asks is simple. Who am I? Those are his first words of the prayer. Who am I? And as we talked about last week, that's a great question for us to consider, too. As we enter into prayer, after all, in and of ourselves, we don't deserve a hearing with God, but God hears us because of what Christ has done. We don't even always know how to pray, what to pray for or how to say it. And yet the Holy Spirit enables us in those times of prayer. And as we consider these truths, it is only through Christ's work on the cross, his broken body and his shed blood, only through that work do we even have the privilege of gaining a hearing with God. Only when we understand that because of what Christ has done, we can refer to him as our father, not just some distant, unknowable deity. 
Only when we fully grasp just how incredible it is that the Holy Spirit enables us and spurs us on to prayer. Only when we consider these truths will our prayers be characterized by that same sense of awe, that same sense of wonder, and that same desire to praise God that we saw from David in that passage. Now, this morning, we'll be looking at the second aspect of prayer in this sermon series. And this is one of the more common things that we think about when it comes to prayer. We're going to be talking this morning about the prayer of supplication. Now, supplication is a word that we don't often use in everyday vocabulary these days. It's really kind of a fancier word for requests or petitions. Supplication is when we ask God to supply something. Think about a petition when you want something done in your city or in your town or in some kind of committee. Sometimes you make a petition. You get a bunch of people to sign it and then you bring the petition to the person in authority and you do that in hopes that the person in authority will then honor the request. We do the same thing of God. We have requests of ours that we think are important. And so we bring them to God in hopes that he would act upon those requests. Now, as we look at this, we're going to be looking at three different prayers, all from Jesus, because really there's no better place to look in any prayers, including the prayer of supplication. So let's turn to Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13. If you're using one of our chair Bibles, this will be located on page 691. And if you don't own a Bible, as always, grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today. But before we talk about the prayer of supplication, let's pray together right now and then we'll get started. Father, you are great. You are powerful. You are merciful. You are holy. You are righteous and you are compassionate. And God, all of these things, you are all of them perfectly. They are not exclusive things. You are marked by all of them in a full and perfect sense that we can't even fully comprehend and that we can't even fully grasp. And God, we are grateful for who you are. We're grateful for what you've done. And God, I pray that as we talk about what it means to make requests of you in prayer, I pray that a few requests that we make this morning, that you would answer them. We request that your word would speak to us, that it would pierce our hearts, that it would be living and active. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be active and mending hearts and convicting hearts. God, we ask that you be with us throughout the entirety of this service, that you give us ears to hear, hearts to hear, and minds that are open to what you might be teaching us. God, we pray for those who aren't here, that you would watch over them, that you would keep them safe, and that they would have time with you this morning, even if it isn't here. God, we pray for those who are suffering in our congregation with needs that we know or, or needs that we don't know. Watch over them and bring comfort and peace to the craziness that life sometimes throws at us. But God, I pray more than anything that as we make these requests of you so often, the way so many of us do, I pray that we would always keep in mind and always be in awe of the privilege that we have of coming into your presence. And that includes this morning. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I'd like you to think of a moment in your life where you felt completely and utterly helpless. You were in some kind of crazy situation, some type of 
overwhelming scenario and you had no idea what the heck you were going to do about it. You had no idea what the next steps were. You had no idea how to possibly somehow gain control over the situation that really you had no control over whatsoever. And as a result of this feeling of helplessness, you feel scared. You feel intimidated. There's chaos. There's uncertainty. And you're just praying that this time of helplessness would somehow come to an end sometime soon. As I think of a feeling of helplessness that we've experienced, Olivia and I, I think of 2013. We took Javen to the doctor for a two-year checkup, I believe. It was nothing spectacular, nothing out of the ordinary. But the doctor looked at his head and said, hey, his head's pretty big. So why don't you take him, get a CT scan, just to make 100% sure that nothing's wrong. Purely precautionary. So we said, okay, then we'll get a CT scan. We got the CT scan done in the fall by the time we finally got it scheduled. And then a few days later, I was sitting at lunch with Joshua at B-Dubs. He probably remembers when this happened. I was sitting there at B-Dubs. We were talking about things happening here at church. And then I got a phone call from the doctor. They had the results of the CT scan. So I knew it was an important phone call to take. So I excused myself from lunch. I took the phone call. And the doctor, very, very just not even thinking about it, said, yeah, we looked at the CT scan and your son has benign enlargement of the subarachnoid space. Okay, benign enlargement of the subarachnoid space. Now, over time, we would learn that that's a fancy way, really, of saying he's got a big head. The doctor looked at me and said, looking at your head, you probably had it, too, when you were a kid. Okay, thanks for that. We learned that it really wasn't a big deal, that we really had nothing to worry about, that it would probably self-correct itself, 99.9% chance that it would self-correct. And to this day, it has self-corrected. We have no worries about it whatsoever. But when I got the, time, when I got the call, at that time, all I knew was that my only child, who I love probably more than anyone else on this earth, besides Olivia and Nolan too, got to add him now, I love Javen so, so dearly. And at the time, all I could think is that this child who I would give my life for has some kind of medical condition with big terminology that I don't understand. That's all I could think about at the time. And so I got lightheaded. I got nervous. I had to basically stop our conversation mid-lunch so that I could regain my composure and eventually we looked it up together. We kind of determined, OK, I probably shouldn't be too worried yet. It's probably nothing to be concerned about. But our lunch probably wasn't nearly as productive after that phone call because I felt completely and utterly helpless. I had no idea what would come next. I had no idea just how serious this medical issue was. Should I be worried? Should I not be worried? And really, when those feelings of helplessness come along, when we pray prayers of supplication, that feeling of helplessness, that feeling of need is kind of assumed. Because why would we be praying a prayer of supplication in the first place if we didn't feel helpless? If we could control things on our own, if we could fix the problems that we're facing without God's help. If we don't have that feeling of helplessness, if we don't have that realization of need, then a prayer of supplication, realistically, will probably never even come from our lips. But really, the truth is that not just prayers of supplication should be characterized by helplessness 
and need. Really, every single one of our prayers should be characterized with helplessness and need. Because Augustine says we should not pray until we account ourselves desolate in the world. In other words, if you're not willing to face your own need, if you're not willing to admit your own helplessness, both in this life and in eternity, then really this sermon is irrelevant to you. Prayers of supplication will never come from your lips if you don't admit you're needy, if you don't admit that you're helpless. And if you can't admit that you're needy or refuse to see just how helpless you really are because of your sin, then really you can't believe the gospel in the first place. So prayer in general, but especially this type of prayer, the prayer of supplication, assumes that we recognize our need, assumes that we recognize our helplessness. Now let's look to Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 9, the first prayer of Jesus, the prayer of supplication, the Lord's Prayer, a prayer you're probably familiar with at some level. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we're going to stop in verse 10 because we see three different petitions Sometimes we don't really realize it, but the Lord's Prayer is very much a prayer of petition. We see several different supplications that Jesus is making here, that he's teaching his disciples to make. And the reason that we're stopping at verse 10 is because these first three supplications, requests, petitions, whatever you want to call them, all three of them are about God. The first one, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word for holy. And it's not like God's name needs to become holy. It already is holy. It just is holy because he's God. And yet the person praying this prayer is asking God, God, magnify your name in all of creation. They're making a request of God that everyone on earth might view his name as holy, as hallowed. The second petition, your kingdom come. Again, God is already king. He doesn't need to become a king. He doesn't need us to ask him to become king. He just is king. But this prayer is a request. Us asking God, God, make your kingdom more known in creation. Let more people recognize you as king, as ruler, as God. And then the third petition, your will be done. This prayer is a request that God would help us to elevate his priorities over our priorities and really over any other priorities that we could possibly think of. So the first three petitions are all about God. And then we get to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You notice that it's only after the person praying has petitioned for God's glory, only after they have made God the focus of the prayer, do they then get into their own needs? Do they then get into their own requests? Bread for survival, forgiveness for trespasses, deliverance from temptation. And this is an important principle for every single one of our prayers. Our greatest and foremost desire is for God's glory. 
That's the thing that we ask for first, above anything else. And that petition, that request, takes precedent over any request or any petition or any need that we could possibly make for ourselves. But not only does Jesus instruct his disciples on how to make supplications of God in this prayer, we get to the second prayer, where Jesus makes supplications himself. Look at John 17. This is often referred to as the high priestly prayer, a very long prayer. Basically, every single verse of this chapter is Jesus praying to God. And we see several different supplications made. We look at verse 1. And Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. So here we see Jesus putting into practice what he just taught in the Lord's Prayer. We see him asking God to glorify him in order that God may be glorified. Jesus's first request. Then we get to verse six. Jesus says there, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus is thanking God, acknowledging God that those disciples whom he's been leading for these several years are there because God placed them there. God drew them to Jesus, and Jesus is thankful for it. Then we get back into supplications. Verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So there Jesus requests God help these disciples persevere, especially considering the persecution that is surely coming their way that I've warned them about. And Jesus prays, let them be one. Let them be united, because that's the only way they can withstand this persecution. Verse 15 Jesus says there, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus makes another request. God, keep these disciples safe from Satan as they go on about this mission. Verse 17, Jesus makes another request. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God, let these disciples be grown in your word, in your truth. Change their hearts, change their minds, transform them day in and day out in order that they might look more like me. That's what sanctification is. Look at verse 20. Another request. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus in this verse is praying for those disciples who would come after his disciples. That includes you. And that includes me. Jesus, in these moments, is praying for those who would follow him in the future. Every single one of us. And then verse 24. Jesus prays there, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus there makes the request of God, God, let there be a reunion. Let these people who follow me, who obey me, who you have given to me, let me see them again when their lives have come to an end. We see Jesus making requests, making petitions, 
making supplications on behalf of his disciples in that day and age and on behalf of you if you're a follower of Jesus right now. Let's look to Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. Paul gets even more specific with prayers of supplication. He commands or teaches or asks the Ephesians in verse 18 to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul tells these Ephesian believers to pray for one another, pray for all the saints. He asks them to pray for him and to pray that the gospel would continue to spread and would continue to be preached. So you put all this together, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches the disciples to make supplications. You throw that in with John 17, where Jesus himself makes supplications on your behalf. And then you add Ephesians 6, where Paul gets even more specific about what supplications to make. You put all that together and it becomes clear that God wants his people to make requests of him. God wants us to pray prayers of supplication. There is precedent all over the pages of Scripture. And God hears those prayers of supplication. But there's only one problem. What if those prayers aren't answered? And really, maybe the word shouldn't be if those prayers aren't answered. What about when those prayers aren't answered? Now, some of us would sit back and say, well, of course, God's not going to answer every single prayer request. There are some ridiculous prayer requests out there. God's not going to answer the prayer of the married man who says, God, please give me a suitable partner to have an affair with. God's not going to answer every single prayer request. But what about when we make requests? A humble follower of Jesus. A request that would honor God. And that prayer request isn't met. That prayer isn't answered. What do we do in that situation? For that, let's turn to the third and final prayer of Jesus we'll look at this morning. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. In this passage, we see Jesus in the final moments before he is arrested and eventually crucified. This is after that communion has been taken, after the Passover has been taken, And we find Peter, James, and John with Jesus. He calls them away to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and he begins to pray. Now, all three of these guys, based on the wording of the text, we can assume that they are within earshot of Jesus. So even though they're going in and out of sleep throughout this entire passage, we can assume that they might be hearing the prayers that Jesus makes. And then we see the prayer itself in verse 39. Jesus says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, if you miss the significance of that verse, Jesus is making supplication to God. Jesus is asking God, God, please don't make me go to the cross. Think about that. Please don't make me go to the cross. The cross is a place of shame, of rejection, abandonment, humiliation, and that's not even mentioning 
the pure physical agony. And with anguish and with stress and with emotion, Jesus prays this prayer three separate times. God, please take this cup from me. God, please take this cup from me. Please take this cup from me. But he prays the prayer with one qualification. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Those words are the most important words that we can ever learn when it comes to a prayer of supplication. As much as the requests that we make matter to us, as good as we might think they are, as pure as we might think our motives may be, every single prayer of supplication we say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, qualifying our prayers with those words, that's not something to take lightly. Because that indicates an incredible level of trust. Earlier when we were singing, we prayed one of the lyrics saying, All things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. When we pray prayers of supplication, when we say, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, we are trusting that God makes all things work together for our good. Even when our requests aren't met. Last week, you heard me recommend this book by Tim Keller on prayer. I'd like to read a quick excerpt from it for you. Keller writes, Under requisites for prayer in his systematic theology, Charles Hodge lists importunity and submission back to back. If we overstress submission, we become too passive. We will never pray with the remarkable force and arguments that we see in Abraham pressing God to save Sodom and Gomorrah, or Moses pleading with God for mercy for Israel and himself, or Habakkuk and Job questioning God's actions in history. However, if we overstress importunity, if we engage in petitionary prayer without a foundation of settled acceptance of God's wisdom and sovereignty, we will become too angry when our prayers are not answered. In either case, we will stop praying patient, long-suffering, persistent, yet non-hysterical prayers for our needs and concerns. He closes by writing, We must avoid extremes of either not asking God for things or of thinking we can bend God's will to ours. We must combine tenacious importunity, a striving with God, with deep acceptance of God's wise will, whatever it is. When God answers our prayers, we rejoice. When God doesn't answer our prayers, we trust. St. Augustine was paraphrased as saying, you should not begin to pray for all you want until you realize that in God you have all you need. The gospel alone is sufficient for our every need in eternity. Even if God never answered a single one of our prayer requests, that is the source of our hope. God doesn't owe us an answer. And he certainly doesn't owe us an answer that's only on our terms or only on our timing. God hears our requests out of his grace. He answers our requests out of his grace. And believe it or not, sometimes he even rejects our requests out of his grace. Because his will matters more than ours. 
As Jesus prayed, it would become clear that the cross was a necessary part of his calling. That is why he was sent, to go to the cross on your behalf and on my behalf. There was simply no avoiding it. But look at how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 26, verses 45 and 46. Jesus says there, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. His only desire is to obey the Father's will, even if that includes a cross. Even if that means that his requests are unanswered. Jesus doesn't resist arrest, even though he could have. He doesn't attempt to defend his actions or his words when he's being questioned. If anything, the things that he says probably speed things up a little bit to the cross. And this truth is where we find hope. Our eternal hope is not found in our prayer requests being answered. Our eternal hope is found in the fact that Jesus' request in Gethsemane wasn't answered. That's where we find our eternal hope. His willingness to go to the cross on our behalf. We absolutely make requests of God. We absolutely make supplications. We yearn for God to answer the things that we pray. But every single one of them are with that one qualification. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because we trust that even when our prayers aren't answered the way that we think they should be, we are confident that he works all things together for our good. And when God answers our prayers, we rejoice, we praise, we thank him, we glorify him. But when he doesn't, we trust. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your wisdom, your sovereignty, and your will, even though it's hard for us to fully understand those things all the time. God, we make requests to you. We make them with confidence, knowing that you hear them. We make them with confidence, praying that you will answer them. But God, we also know that sometimes you don't. And even though that is painful, even though that is confusing, even though we can't possibly think of reasons why our prayer requests wouldn't be answered, God, we trust that you work all things together for our good. That your will is more important than ours. So God, I know all of us have different requests that we might lay before you this morning. Requests for ourselves, requests for our friends, our family. God, just all over the board. And I pray that we will lay those before you, that we will be persistent in laying those before you. And I pray that you'll answer them. But God, I also pray that as we lay these requests before you, we have incredible trust that even if you don't answer them on our terms or on our timing, God, we know that you know better than we do. So God, I pray for those requests that we know about, Pray for those requests that we don't know about. God, we pray for those requests that we list every week, whether it's in the weekly email or whether it's in the bulletin or anything like that. We lift those up to you. And God, we trust that you know what is best in every single one of those situations. 
God, we thank you for our eternal hope that isn't found in our requests being answered, but rather is found in the cross. And God, I pray that we will lift that up this morning as we sing this last song. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And if you haven't yet believed that, I pray that you would talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They can answer any questions that you might have and can show you other passages in Scripture that stress how Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you on the cross. So if you haven't accepted that, if you haven't believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, talk to one of those guys. They'd be happy to pray with you, happy to answer your questions. If you have prayer requests that you haven't shared with anyone, that you've been putting on yourself alone, and it's just a huge weight on your chest and a huge weight on your shoulders, talk to one of those guys about that. We'd be happy to pray with you. We want to be praying for you with the requests that you have. So talk to one of those guys as we sing this last song.